0: Good morning. morning. It's great to see you this morning there. I mean, I realize with the nice weather that we've had, there are lots of things that you could be doing with this time right now. And uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to gather together with you. I think in a world that ever is able to offer more and more options of things that we could do in place of gathering together. There is something that is only possible when the body of Christ gathers together around his word. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of Grace Church. We hope to see you tonight. Uh, I just have a quick question for you as we get going. Have you ever misjudged the weight of something? Right? We do this in one way or another all the time. Maybe something is a lot heavier than it looks, or maybe it's a lot lighter than it looks. Either way, if you're anything like me, this leads immediately to disaster. Uh, I've had quite a track record, I'll be honest, and because now many of you know, um, a lot of my family, very creative people, very creative. We've got uh, Tammy, Carter, and Conley. All of them are doing wildly creative things, which all translates to, I'm on a reality TV show, pretty much. Uh, there are moments of my life that are captured and, in, you know, baked into history and in video that should not be. And so I want to let you in on a little bit of that, because talk about misjudging the weight. Now, speaking of weight, you, you might notice just from a quick glance at me that maybe I'm not uh, the most confident in my weight. I've most recently been applying for life insurance, and you talk about a humbling experience when they're like, we got to check that." ooh, ooh, you know, I don't, it's not, these are not the sounds you want to hear from these people. So I don't have the best track record with weight, but I decided I would create a new workout plan for myself, okay? This is already a disaster in the making, but at the, at the time, all the rage was, you know, these people would get these tires, you know, and you'd either roll around the tire, flip the tire, you know, hit, hit the tire with a sledgehammer, all these fun things. I'm, we lived out in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. I was like, this is a genius plan. I'm going to get a tire. So I went onto Craigslist, found a free tire, went to pick it up, and now you get a chance to kind of experience what happened after that. so dad got this tire online and he said oh this is going to be good for working out but when we got the tire 800 pounds, he's a buff guy. Buff? do one-half. <laughs> one. Well, to all those with the camera who are expecting epic failure, I've conquered the tire. <laughs> well, I got to let you in on a little secret. After my bold statement, I did not conquer the tire. It later conquered me in the form of my wife wanted it moved to the backyard for an obstacle course for one of the kids' birthday parties, and so I got that thing back up again, and I started, you know, rolling it like this, you know? Well, let me just tell you, when a tire that size and that heavy starts rolling, you can't stop it. So they're in the backyard and I go literally running by like, ah, and the tire's going and it rolled for like a mile and a half, all the way down, all the way into my neighbor's cornfield. I was, I was a real hero, believe it or not. But I learned that no matter what, that tire was bigger and heavier than I could handle. It was way more than I could handle. It was way bigger, way heavier than I could control or that I could even really understand in terms of just trying to deal with it. And so when we get to our text today, I know it's probably at first gonna feel like, well, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, the text today is all about God's glory. Now, when I say the word glory and you all have something in your mind that comes into your mind, when, when you hear the word glory, you probably think of something more along the lines of admiration or, or, or respect or honor or, or majesty and things like that. When we think things are, are glorious, we tend to like maybe we go to the Grand Canyon or we go see something beautiful in nature and, and we say, oh, this is glorious. But interestingly enough... It also means more than that, especially when we look at the Hebrew word that's used for glory and also the Greek word that's used for glory throughout the entire scripture. Glory is mentioned numerous times in numerous situations, but the word, the root of the Hebrew word for glory has more to do with weight, physical weight than we probably realize. And so there's this weight of God's glory, and and believe it or not, you just confirmed the truth of this. If you were here on time and heard the first song and sang along, some of you know who you are, uh, you got to the bridge of uh, glorious day, and let's go through the, the lyrics there right at the beginning is, I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at what? the weight of your glory. What in the world does that mean? Well, there's this this reality of God's glory that it's bigger and heavier than we can possibly ever understand or comprehend. And so it's not just a feeling It's more than that. Matter of fact, whenever the the Israelites would encounter the the physical manifestation of God's glory, whether it was maybe it was in a cloud or maybe it was in the temple, they would hit the deck because they couldn't stand because of the weight of God's glory. And if you know the story about Moses up on the mountain, he wants to see God's glory. And God says, you can't handle that. But what I will do is I'll tuck you in the cleft of the rock and then I'll pass by and you can maybe just see the back end of my glory. And that's all, otherwise you'll die because you're just not able to handle it. And so Moses is in there, the Lord passes by, Moses catches by and it permanently altered his face. It permanently changed the way his face looked because God's glory is so much bigger and so much more powerful than we typically give it credit for. But that word weight in English also has a double meaning, right? So just like we're talking about this with with glory, it it has a physical weight piece of it, but it also has uh, more of an emotional type of it, uh, meaning to it, meaning admiration, praise, worship, these kinds of things. But think of the word weight. We kind of can understand this. So weight might be talking about how heavy something is, like on a scale, or something like that. And that's a physical thing. But then weight also means, well, how are you waiting something in your life? In other words, it has to do with importance. It has to do with, well, what are your priorities? It has to do with what are you valuing and what are you taking seriously, M- maybe more than anything else? In your life. And so there's this idea that weight is not only just something physical in nature, but it also has to do with helping us understand these two different dimensions of God's glory, the heaviness, also the foundation, but then also how we respond to that, how we adore, how we worship, how how we praise God. It's all wrapped up in this, this question about God's glory, which often Is elusive to us. And so we're gonna talk a lot about God's glory today, and I want you to keep those two things in mind. God's glory is bigger and heavier than you and I could ever understand. That's piece one. And the second piece is how much weight or how much importance are you placing on God's glory in your life? Think about those two dimensions as we get into this, and we're gonna be looking a little bit further in John chapter 12 today. But before we dive in, let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that you're already here. We know that wherever your people are gathered, you are amongst us. And Lord, we now ask that by the power of your word, that you transform us, that you make us new, that you conform us to your son, Jesus Lord, in these moments that we have together, may not be my word, but may it be a word from you that we hear, that, that you plant your word in our hearts like seeds and that you help those seeds of faith grow and spring forth into eternal life. Lord, we know you're here. We tune our ears to you right now and ask you alone to speak to us to change us, to transform us, to, to raise the dead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we talked about the first 11 verses of John chapter 12. And uh, this was an amazing thing where uh, Mary, remember, she, she poured the whole bottle of perfume uh, on Jesus and then wiped his feet with her hair. We talked all about, well, what what does that signify? What does that mean? Uh, and, And we talked about how other people and all of their other different reactions to that. And so now, right after that, we have this little section in John chapter 12 that goes from basically from verse 12 to 19. And that is this Jesus triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But like I've said, along our study of the gospel of John It's not always in exactly the chronological order of events. And this is one of those cases where we're going to skip past that for right now. We're going to start in verse 20 and then we'll go back. Trust me, we're not going to skip it forever. We'll go back and we'll talk about that in the right time of the overall narrative in how we're working through the gospel of John. But for today, now we're going to fast forward just a bit to verse 20 and this is, is an amazing section of scripture because it really does signify this shift. Remember last week I said, well, there's all this talk about, about the hour, his hour has not yet come, his hour is not yet come. And I said last week, well, his hour is, is coming, his hour is here. Well, now we're gonna hear from Jesus that that is in fact true. His hour has come, things have shifted. His public ministry is now over in the way that it had been working before. And now everything changes, everything gets in motion. The, the mission that Jesus was sent to accomplish has now become what needs to happen right here in the middle, and we get, to be a, we get a chance to be a part of that. And so be thinking about God's glory. As we, I'm going to read this all the way through first, and then I want to start taking a little bit closer look at, at some pieces here that I think really help us understand a little bit more about God's glory, yes, but also who we are in reflection of that glory. So uh, starting in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who came up and went to worship at the festival. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Now, right away, we have to ask, well, okay, this seems like a very strange response. Because at the very beginning, we have these Greeks. Well, they're coming to talk to Jesus. Well, why is that significant? Well, remember back in John chapter 3, verse 16, the most well-known scripture of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have Eternal life. And I want to zero in on that phrase, the world, for God so loved the world. John, the gospel writer, uses that phrase as a way to indicate to us that Jesus' mission is much bigger than him coming to just one particular group of people. Okay? It, it's for the world. So the world, that phrase represents everybody, all people of all time, everywhere. No conditions. God sent his son for all people. Okay. Now, when it comes to these Greeks arriving on the scene, take a look at uh, what we see here. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to the worship at the festival. They went to Philip. Uh, They said, hey, we would like to see Jesus. That is significant because this phrase, the Greeks, also is our clue that John is talking about. All right, up till now. Jesus has only been dealing with his own people, the Jewish people primarily The Jewish people are the only ones that are looking after Jesus for right or for wrong, for better or for worse, for good intentions or bad. The Jewish people have been the ones looking for Jesus. Jesus then in turn has also been looking for some, a few Samaritans. Remember we talked about the Samaritans. They're kind of related to the Jews, but uh, there's also a lot of animosity between these two groups of people. Jesus has sought a couple of Samaritans out, much to the disapproval of his Jewish folks. But now the Greeks are coming to see Jesus. That marks a huge shift in this overall purpose, the mission of Jesus. And so, you know, I think it's actually kind of humorous. I mean, it's okay to laugh when the Bible is funny. I think this is one of, one of those times, you know, these people request an appointment with Jesus. We have no idea if he ever took the appointment, what happened, anything like that. His response is like, what? So, you know, they come in and they're like, hey, we got Jesus, we got some Greeks. They want to see you. And look at what he says instead. Jesus replied, not send them in. Hey, what do you guys want? No. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What a strange response. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Uh, Okay. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now, this is an amazing section because Jesus is right now in this moment coming to terms with, okay, the arrival of the Greeks lets him know that his hour has now come. His hour is unmistakably here. And that hour, just so we're clear before we talk about this anymore, that hour that we're talking about is Jesus' death on the cross. That's the hour that he's been talking about. He talked about it in chapter two. He talked about it in chapter four. He talked about it in seven and eight. And he kept saying, my hour's not yet here. My hour's not yet here. Well, now here we have the hour. It's come. It's come and things are going to be very difficult for Jesus. And you and I don't tend to think about that. We think, like, oh, well, you know, it's easy for Jesus because Jesus is God. Well, keep in mind, Jesus is God in the flesh, yes. But he's also fully human. And he experiences all the same kinds of things that you and I experience, all the same range of emotions that we do. And we're going to see that as we go on. But this whole idea is that there is now a, a shift, a huge shift toward the hour is here. Jesus will be doing this mission now. And this whole talk about the seed, the seed dying and therefore more seeds are produced. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, you're going to find another discussion. Now your translation probably says something. Now this is, this is God talking to Eve and Adam and the serpent. And this is after sin had happened. They disobeyed. They ate from the tree. Now God is explaining to them the consequences of that sin. And as part of that, he says in in chapter 3 verse 15 that one day, your translation probably says offspring, one day your offspring will come and they will be In conflict with each other. And he says to the serpent, You will, your offspring will bite his heel and he will crush your head. All right? Now, that's, there's some very interesting wording there because when you look behind offspring, it's not really offspring, it's seed. And when it comes to the promise of who is coming, To take care of this, it's singular, it's not seeds, it's seed. And so Jesus, in full reflection of this, is now talking about he's going to give his life for the good of the other people that God sent him to rescue and to save. And it's not just one specific group, it's all people. And so that hour has now shifted into high gear and it's coming and Jesus knows this and he knows it's gonna be difficult and the temptation would be like, well, isn't there another way? Isn't there another way? And in some of the other gospels, we, we see Jesus saying, you know, Father, if there's any chance you could take this cup from me, that'd be awesome. But if not, your will be done, not mine. So there's this message of obedience in here. And I think when we say, even say the word obedience, we get a little bit jumpy, don't we? Because obedience tends to be something that, well, we love obedience when it means we get to do what we want. We even love obedience more when it means we can use and point our finger and call out other people for not doing it the way they think they should be doing it. But obedience, in this particular sense, as we listen to what Jesus is talking about, also means that what's being asked of us as followers of Jesus is not easy. It's not comfortable. Matter of fact, it's almost always uncomfortable. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life, but I certainly have experienced that in mine. But we might just think like, oh, well, Jesus, he's just keeping up with the rules, he's following the rules, uh, he's doing this because, you know, he's an upright standing, you know, moral type person. If, if that's all we conclude out of this, then we're missing the deeper, the heavier, the, the weightier piece of what is really happening here. And that's this, obedience is more than morality. It's all about God's glory. This is a glory issue obedience is not a means of us trying to get God to behave a certain way toward us. It's actually about us acting, living out the reality of his truth coming to life in us. We see this over and over again. And a lot of times that means that he's sending us out to exactly where we don't want to go, to deal with exactly who we don't want to deal with the people that we're really concerned about, the people that we've already written off. Jesus is saying, no, those are the folks I'm sending you to. And we oftentimes say, well, I don't want to go. But obedience is more than morality. It's a glory issue. It brings glory to God. And when we're looking for glory, well, what, what does that mean? Because sometimes, again, it's, it's elusive. We, we can't quite put our finger on, well, what is this glory of God? God helps us understand that. John clarified it for us all the way back at the beginning of the gospel of John. In John chapter one, I want to look at two verses in particular that help us see this. First is verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So there you see it. The fulfillment of God's grace is in the person of Jesus. No longer is it ambiguous. Now we know where this glory, of where he wants us to find his glory, even though it's bigger than you and I could ever understand or control or wrap our minds around or our arms around or lift out of the back of a truck, whatever it is, the reality of it is God wants us to find what he means by his glory in the person of Jesus. Not just in a general sense. Not just like, oh, gee, I love Jesus. Not like bumper sticker Jesus. But Jesus, who has actually gone all the way to the cross to save us. Not because we deserve it, but because of who he is. Because of his goodness. And it says right here in uh, verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received, I think this translation says grace in place of grace. A better translation would just be grace upon grace. Matter of fact, in the Greek, it's just grace twice, meaning seriously, a lot of grace, (laughs) abundant grace, more grace than you can handle, more grace than you can understand. In Jesus, God has poured out his grace and mercy in him, and it doesn't stop with Jesus, it ends up pouring out into all of those who call upon his name and follow him faithfully. It's amazing. Because God's glory is revealed in Jesus, it's when we trust him, when we believe in him, when we seek him, when we know him, and when we're obedient to him, it's not being driven by our morality, At the core, it's so that this is at least one way that we glorify God. But we don't do it to glorify ourselves. And oh man, would we rather it be that. We love to give ourselves glory. We love to heap praise on ourselves. We love to hear the words of affirmation of other people. We love for the world to cheer us on. We, we love this idea of, of thinking that we're a pretty big deal. And, and then sometimes that then spills over into our idea of Christianity. And it kind of feels like, well, you know, God, in the end, he's lucky to have me. Right? I'm so great. But no, that's not what's happening here at all. And so Jesus is on this mission to make it right, to make things right for you and me, not because we deserve it, but because that's who he is. That's what he's been sent to do. And so instead of keeping that for ourselves and just living that with that inside of us and uh, hiding it under a bushel, so to speak, we actually are to be that light in the world. In John chapter eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But also in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, famous sermon, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, listen to what he says about this same light. You, this, he's talking to the disciples, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, uh, put a <laughs> Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, whatever we do, in whatever our circumstances are, we are faced with the choice to turn inward and focus on ourselves And whatever struggles we might be having, I'm not saying that our struggles are not important either. But I am saying when you weigh that out, when you weigh that out in light of what God has done for you in Jesus, then grace upon grace means the abundance of God's grace shows up in his glory. And while you've got a little scale out there and you're weighing your life circumstances, whatever you think is weighty, whatever you think is important, whatever you think is defining you, whatever you think your identity might be wrapped up in, God's glory comes and it's so heavy and so much that it vaporizes the entire scale. There is no scale anymore. His grace is what is the weightiest thing that we could ever imagine. That is God's glory. His glory should define how we live. But do we weight that as the heaviest thing in our lives? Or do we sacrifice that for something else? Is it some other person uh, or or some other group of people? Or or, or is it some other thing? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it, uh, or what about this? The opinion of others. Are we worried so much about what other people might say about us that we let other people define who we are? Or do we continue to search over and over and over again for our our identity in some sort of characteristic about us? And we say, oh, this is me. That's what the world wants you to do, is to define yourself by whatever it says you are, and then divide you and spread you apart so that you turn your back and forget about who Jesus says you are. Who does he say you are? A child of God. I don't know about you, but in a world that seems in desperate need of something unifying, there is nothing more unifying than the gospel of Jesus Christ. He brings people together. That is something only God can do. Lord knows we can't do it ourselves. We've made that really clear. And so this idea of obedience, glorifying God, doesn't mean that it's just automatically easy. Oh, sign me up for that. Obey? Yep. Sign me up. No. It means that it will be difficult. It means that we will have to deal with... And and the simple fact is that Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that he was going to be mocked, beaten, spit upon, rejected, betrayed, humiliated, and ultimately crucified, which is the most humiliating form of execution that the Romans could ever come up with. A public crucifixion. And so when the world looks upon Jesus dying on the cross and says what a joke! Strangely enough that's where we actually find God's glory. It's always twisted around from what we think it is. We look upon the cross and we think what a massive defeat. Not realizing that the defeat is actually the glory of God defeating death itself. Defeating all of the things that separate you from God or have separated from you. Removing sin as far as the East is from the West so that it no longer has power and control in your life and instead we submit to the glory of God who's manifest in Jesus and we trust him and we follow him and we believe in him. Is that, is that you today? Because a lot of times when we're sent out to reflect that glory to somebody else, all of our fear kicks in, all of our anxiety kicks in, all of our nervousness kicks in. We don't do it. We don't follow through, but thankfully we have a savior in Jesus who did follow through. And so again, he experienced all the same kinds of emotions that you and I do. And, and look at what happens in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. Just focus on that for a minute. This idea of his soul is troubled. That word troubled should not be taken lightly. That, that has an emotional content to it that, that uh, the word actually means he's horrified. He's concerned, he's anxious, he's nervous. He doesn't want to do it. Matter of fact, he's even afraid. Now, you and I don't like to talk about a Jesus who is afraid. But guess what? You and I are afraid all the time. We get afraid. And aren't we thankful that we have a Savior who understands exactly what that feels like? So that it's not just some sort of existential exercise. It's actually Jesus experiencing what you and I experiencing all the time in all these different circumstances. He knows, he knows what we're going through. So I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what you might be facing. I don't know what your struggles are. And I think that a lot of times they start to weigh us down and weigh us down and weigh us down and weigh us down. And God's glory comes and destroys the scale and realigns you and offers you hope that when we turn to him and to him alone, then we glorify him even in the times of struggle. I don't know how many people I talk to that say, well, God didn't do whatever. And so I therefore, am, I'm kind of taking a break, taking a break from God. I didn't get what I wanted. And therefore God must not be good. And uh, I'm going to wait him out, or some derivation of that plan. Folks, over and over again, we see not just Jesus, but we see all these folks in the Bible that are written about that in the midst of their deepest struggles, they could turn their back, they could walk away, and there are some that do. But the stories of faith, the stories of hope, are all of the people that are not finding that strength in themselves, but they're finding their strength and their hope in Jesus. So as we think about what does it mean to live in light of God's glory, recognize that it's not going to mean that it's automatically easy and comfortable. Jesus' soul was troubled, and oftentimes our soul is troubled. But that doesn't mean that God is somehow not involved. In fact, Jesus himself says this at the end, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. It's not about Jesus' glory. Jesus is saying it's about the Father's glory. Glorify your name. And the Father responds, I have glorified my name and I will do it again. And he does it over and over again. Now, you and I get a chance to be invited into that same thing, even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our hard times, even in the midst of our rejection and our humiliation and our betrayal and all of the things that didn't work out the way we wanted them to. We have the opportunity then to come and respond to the glory of God that is the grace of God that is in the person of Jesus. And when we glorify God, God's glory is reflected in us. When we glorify God, his glory is reflected in us. That changes the way that we, no matter what we do. Again, I mentioned this. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's true for all of us. No matter what your relationships are, no matter what your work experience is, no matter what your job is, no matter if you're going to school or not going to school or you're married, not married, whatever it is, and whatever your circumstances are, do it all for the glory of God. Well, what does that mean? How do we glorify God? Well, obedience is certainly one way, but obedience can get twisted up too. I mean, we, we have an un, because of our, our sinful and fallen nature and the world that we live in, we can get obedience itself twisted up. We can judge other people. We do that all the time. But also there's this other little piece of it where we can just sort of do religious activities and, and silently kind of hope that's impressing God. You know, like we're, we're earning God's favor or maintaining or keeping God's favor because we're doing this obediently, which then leads us to just start going through the motions, Now, you younger people will have no idea what I'm talking about, but you older people, do you remember this commercial where they have the Dunkin' Donuts guy and he gets up at like five in the morning and he says, time to make the donuts. Time to make the donuts, right? If that's what you think glorying or glorifying God is, then we've missed the point. It's not just rote recitation of of something we memorized. It's not just going through the motions and dreading everything. It's actually being joyful in the midst of the circumstances, whatever they are, and recognizing that we still, even in those hard times, matter of fact, I, I would say for me personally, even more so in the times of struggle and hardship and feeling like there's no hope, when I turn to God and when I glorify God in those circumstances, his glory I know is reflected in me. I hope that's true for you, but we can get this easily confused because the devil wants nothing more than to get us focused on exactly the wrong things. And wow, is he doing a great job of that. We are focused on all all of these things. If If we think about our scale example again, When we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done, what he has accomplished for us on the cross, and we weigh that out with whatever we think is important, it's not even a fair comparison. The weightiness of the gospel of Jesus is what wins every time, all the time. Are we living in light of that? How do we keep grounded in the truth of that, in the truth of God's glory. Not only about who he is, but who we are in him and with him and through him. Well, the biggest thing, believe it or not, is what we've been talking about, to make sure that we're giving importance or make sure that we are weighing the whole thing appropriately, that we are understanding, recognizing, observing, embracing the weightiness of what God has done for us. And what has he done for us? Well, he sent his one and only son. And his one and only son, just like John the Baptist said at the beginning of the gospel of John, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to this fallen sinful world and he took the sin of you and me past, present, future upon himself, not because he was guilty, but he was judged guilty. Matter of fact, it says, uh, he who had no sin became sin for us. Okay. So in that moment, this, this cross of Jesus Christ, he he talks about this in, in uh, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from earth, I'll draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. All right? This idea of judgment, of how this all turns out, is not something that is just brand new. It's not something that's just referenced here. Jesus is talking about his death, he'll be lifted up. Uh, and in his mind, he knows exactly what that means. The other people are wondering, well, is that what we think it means? And so they think, well, the Messiah is supposed to go on forever. What are you talking about? You're gonna die. That doesn't, that doesn't seem like it fits any messianic prophecy or anything like, that we're expecting. And yet that's what Jesus' mission is. And he's determined to see it through. But when we think about this idea of judgment and what is the final judgment and when is it happening and how did did it turn out? We already know the answer to this. We already heard the answer to this all the way back in John chapter five. Listen to uh, John chapter five, verses 25 to 30. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now, now think, think about this for a minute, because a lot of times we start collecting and building a resume of all the wonderful things that we've done, all the good deeds we've done. I mean, even if we start out by doing something simply as a way to glorify God, And living in obedience and glorifying God in that way, how long does it take after somebody comes up to you and says, Oh man, you did a great job? Then we say, You know what? I did a great job, didn't I? We take the glory from God and we try to apply it to ourselves. This never works, this doesn't work, but we keep trying it because we we have this deep need to be valued, to to know that that we matter, that that's what's at the root of this. And so it it can easily get into pride and arrogance and ego and, and all about us instead of about glorifying God. But once you know the truth about what Jesus has accomplished, there's a judgment that has already happened And there is a judgment that will come in the future. Okay? The judgment that has already happened is as soon as Christ was crucified on that cross, the enemy was cast out. That's what Jesus has promised. That's what actually has happened. The enemy's cast. And you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Cast out from what? It doesn't, he doesn't seem like the enemy. It seems like he's alive and well and and everything is going uh, his way. Not God's way. So cast out from what? Here it is. Cast out from ever being able to condemn you. Okay? Jesus paid the cost for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world. The judgment, folks, is already over. It already happened. Jesus was judged guilty, even though he was innocent, so that you and I can be free To live in the new identity that he gives us. What does he say to us? Forget about what other people say about you. What does Jesus say about you? He calls you child. He calls you brother and sister. He invites you into God's house. He says, hey, there's a place for you. He comes to you and he says, I forgive you. I give you my peace. I favor you. Is that the weightiest thing in our life? Living in the light of God's glory? Is that the heaviest thing or is it something else? Judgment came the day that Jesus died on the cross. The effects will come when he returns. Now, I just want to say this. There is a judgment that's already happened. Your sin was judged in Jesus, just like we've had now. In the last three weeks, we've had 25 people baptized in this church, which is amazing. And in each and every case, those people make a statement of faith saying, I believe that no matter what my circumstances are, that Jesus Christ has rescued me. And that, when we give that the weight that we really need to, then our lives drastically change. But then there's also this idea of this future judgment, the return of Christ, he comes back and he he says this in John chapter five, that he will call out our name and and either we will be alive and we will hear him calling our name or we will be in the grave and he will call out a name. Either way, we stand before a holy God and what are you gonna do in that particular time? You gonna get out a resume? You're gonna say, hey, I just wanna let you know all the great things that I've accomplished here. Uh, I hope it's good enough. Um, I think heaven would really be a mistake without me. So can I please, you know, get in on this? Or my plan, just so you know, is um, I'm with him. I'm with him because if Jesus has already been judged and I have already been baptized into a death like his and raised in a resurrection like his, then I no longer have to fear death at all. Yeah, life is hard, it is hard, it will continue to be hard, but what do we do when the circumstances are hard? Do we give God glory? In the end, Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. And so right now, right now, I want you to understand that the cross of Jesus Christ continues to call people when he says, I'm going to be lifted up, when he's lifted up on that cross, when you and I come to understand who he is and what he's done for us, then we find God's glory in the cross itself. The cross of Christ is the intersection of God's love and justice. He solved the sin problem. That's the justice piece. And he did it because he loves you that much. That's his grace upon grace, the glory of God. in the, And Paul even says, we preach Christ and him crucified. And so if you're hearing those words today and they sound different to you, praise the Lord. Because as the father is drawing you to himself, you start to believe and know and trust and follow this Jesus who calls you into this new life with him. If if that's the first time for you today that that, that you say, hey, you know, I've heard these words before, but today it feels different. Would you please go and pray with somebody after the service? We have folks at our care station right over here. They'd They'd love to pray with you if you have questions or anything like that. But maybe today is the day that you come back to faith, that you realize, hey, things in my life have really gotten out of control. My priorities have really gotten out of whack and I've been given a lot more weight to a lot of things, but remembering the weight of God's glory, specifically who you are in Jesus. If you live in the light of truth of who God says you are, well, then there's, Nothing stopping you from living this new life with Jesus. But focus on that. Trust that. Follow that. And do it in relationship with him because when we glorify him, that glory is reflected in us all the way to eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your rescue. Thank you that you've not left us orphaned, that you've not left us alone to try to figure it out for ourselves. But instead, Lord, you have shown us the way. You've shown us the way to your cross where you paid the price for the sin of the world. You've shown us the way to your resurrection, knowing that you've once and for all defanged the power of death itself. You've put death to death. And Lord, As we each are struggling with different things in our lives right now, we ask for your intervention in ways that bring you glory. Lord, help us to live in light of that glory. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name in me and through me and in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.